0: welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osman, here with my friend, Chavruta and Gordon. Our death today, Masachat Shabbat, Kuf Chavchat, 128. Uh, I'm going to start off with a really, what I thought was a nice section on Amad Aleph that talks about uh, something interesting with animals and then a theme that we've touched upon before. So the Mishnah, the Gemara is going to start discussing uh, the list in the Mishnah of certain types of Muqsa items. Um, and one of the items that's mentioned is below a taluf, right? Luf, which is some type of food for ravens, which the Mishnah says is not allowed to be moved. But Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says, uh, somebody is allowed to move. And so the Gemara now is going to bring down a braisa that's going to discuss uh, this difference of opinion between the Tanakama and Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. Tanu mitalzalin et we can move chatzav. Uh, Because it's food for deer. And we can move mustard uh, because it's food for doves. So Rabbi Shon ben Gamliel says we can even move shards of glass. Because it is food for ostrich. ostrich. I'm not saying that word correctly. For an ostrich. (laughs) For some reason, I'm stuck in the plural. Rabbi Nathan Rabbi Natan said, "Right according to this reasoning, that even bundles of vine should be allowed to be moved. Why? Uh, because it's food for elephants, and nobody says that you're allowed to actually move these vines. So he's basically questioning Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel about this moving of the glass. Now, what's going on exactly? What you know? What we're basically describing is food." that somebody would be allowed to move for animals that they own. And so the question, you know, the question really is, you know, what about an ostrich and an elephant? So the Gemara is going to go on to explain a little bit more about Rabban Shema ben view. Rabban Shema ben Gamliel, right? For him, right, is he going to say that an ostrich is like a common animal? And therefore, you know, this is a common situation, right? Somebody could be in possession of an ostrich and would need to feed it. Peeling uh, lo right? But he didn't teach elephants because elephants are not common. Now, when you read this, this seems very unusual. You mean an ostrich is common and an elephant is not common? Okay, I love it. I love what? it. Right, I, love I love it. Like maybe that's maybe that's one explanation. Okay. Now amar amemar, right? So now we're gonna have an amarayit discussion, you know, dispute explaining this. Vekud namiot. Amemar says the braven shemgam Leo, right? Is basically going to allow this only if he actually has this ostrich in his possession. So in other words, if you own the ostrich, then it's not uncommon. So then if you have glass shards, you're allowed to move them because maybe this is food that you would have given your pet ostrich. Amar Rabashi, LaMemar, but is going to challenge this. And he says to Gamliel, And he says, wait, how then do you explain the back and forth the, or the challenge that Rabbi Natan gives to Rabbi Shum Gamliel in this price, right? Because what does he say? Right? But according to your reasoning, you should also be allowed, right? This is where Rabbi Natan says, you should also be allowed to move bundles of vines because that's food for an elephant. And what does Ravashi say? Now, could the person actually have, right? Would he say that he actually has elephants, you know, in his, uh, actually in his, uh, in his possession, okay. So you know, because then why would it not be permitted to move the vines, right? So clearly, in other words, what we're saying is, is that it doesn't have to do with actually having the animal in your possession, because that's not the exception that seems to be made in Rabbi Natan's questionnaire. Ela Raui, right? Rather, this objection that he has, havei nami raui, right? Uh, you know, is that it's fit for elephants. It's not about whether or not you actually have the animal animal in your possession. And therefore, what Rabbi Shivan Ben Gamliel is saying is, is that it's just that it's fit for an ostrich. It's not about whether or not you actually have the ostrich in your possession. So first of all, I just think this whole back and forth about, you know, ostriches and elephants, it's just like interesting that these are even animals that they are considering to talk about. And I'm guessing there might have been one or two people who had some type of these exotic animals um, in their possession, you know, Maybe an ostrich is more common than an elephant. Um, before I move on, Anne, you have anything else to say about this?
1: Um, no, not yet. I it mean, just, again, I, I right. I'm struck by by these animals. You know, they seem outland not outland outlandish, exotic, right? They seem far beyond what I would have assumed would be the norm certainly in the era of the Mishnah. So I don't know, maybe in Bavel there was something more exotic or maybe they were traveling. I, I don't know, right? Like, right, but this I is still a want Mishnah, the movie. So it was
0: clearly written in Eretz Yisrael. So, right. So I think what exactly. you is so, like, So okay. where are the elephants? That's right. my question. So there <laughs> might've been a few people who had exotic pets, but here's the piece where it gets like, you know, really interesting. Amar Abayi. So Bai Abay is going to say, Raman Shemal Ben Gamliel, Varebi Rabbi Varebi Yishmal, Varebi Akiva. So now we're going to actually, Abai is going to explain what the actual reasoning is for this, about why the, the shards of the shards of glass is allowed for an ostrich. And he's going to say that it has to do with the principle of that all of B'nai Yisrael are melachim, which is a principle that we've seen before in Masachat Shabbat. Of course, it's eluding me now what the context was of that. And he basically says that there are four Tanayim who hold this principle. And he's going to quote the Tanaidic sources of what cases they're talking about. So he's going to start with Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel, right? So first is Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel, Hadza Amran, right? So Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel for what we've just stated, right? Um, And so in other words, uh, what does it have to do with? Is that in other words, yes, an ostrich is an exotic pet, right? But it's something that like, you know, basically a melech would have like a prince would have. Right. But we treat everybody like it. So in other words, even if you don't personally own the ostrich, because all of B'nai Israel are B'nai Melechim, we're all like princes. OK, you could move the glass shards because theoretically you could own an ostrich because you're like a prince. So that's really the reasoning for why Rabbi Trimble permits these glass shards being moved on the possibility, right? So in other words, what it's acknowledging is, is that these exotic pets were not something an ordinary person has. It really was something of a b'nai malachim, particularly with the ostrich. But since we're all b'nai malachim, right, we can move these glass shards. Okay, now it goes on and quotes uh, a, um, uh, a another uh, another statement, right? Rabban it's Zitznan. Okay, here's another view. B'nai malachim, this is the one that we've learned before. B'nai malachim's Okay, right? So we saw this before. It was on Kuf uh, Yud Um And I'll be fair. I said before, I forgot, but the Arts Girl actually helped me find this. Um, so, um, right, that B'nai Malachim were allowed to smear rose oil on their wounds on Shabbat. Because they would also do this even on weekdays. Rav Shimon member Rav Shimon Ben Gamliel says, Call Yisrael B'nai Malachi. Rabbi Shema says all, all of B'nai Yisrael are these types of princes, and therefore everybody's allowed to do this for their wounds, even on Shabbat. Now we get to the opinion of Rabbi Yisrael, Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva. Titania, right, they turn in a brisa. Hare Shayu no manah, right? And this, I thought, was a very interesting brisa. Let's say a creditor, right, or creditors have a claim against a person for a thousand mana. And he's wearing some expensive cloth that is worth a hundred mana. So it's not the full amount of money. It's a hundred mana, but he owes this creditor a thousand mana. Um, we take the cloak away from him. And we put him in, in a cloak that's actually suitable for what he should be wearing. In other words, when there's a debt to be collected, the lender, the creditor, is actually allowed to take the borrower of any of his assets. And clothing, even though it's considered essential, he's allowed to actually take a piece of this clothing. Okay? Um, but Tanah Mishum Rabbi Yishmael, but what, what does Rabbi Yishmael say here? The Tanah Mishum Rabbi Akiva, and what does Rabbi Akiva teach here? Right? Yisrael All of Israel, they're actually fit to wear this expensive cloak. And actually, we consider it to be basically uh, sort of more than essential, and that even though they may be wearing clothing that does not really reflect their financial status, we allow them to keep it because we say all B'nai Israel can dress like royalty. So you know this was this this what we saw before on Kuf Yudalek of the Rav and Gamliel as it pertains to just you know putting rose oil on wounds, um, and that we invoke this concept of you know Kol Yisrael B'nai Melachim. Here we see in this Gemara that actually that concept was held by many Tanayim and actually could apply to a multitude of halachic situations.
1: Wow! Yeah, that's a that's I feel like a big jump from our ostriches and our elephants. Not a jump. I mean, like a it all goes together, right? Because it leads into what might what animals might a prince actually have um, to who we are as a Jewish people. I'm going back to the animals because our next Mishnah. Now I'm on. I'm a bet. Our next Mishnah brings us back to exact animals. And I keep wondering, you know, was this page designed as uh, entertainment for the children? I'm really not saying that seriously. Um, okay. So you could overturn a basket in front of the chickadees, meaning are baby chicks, so that they could climb onto it and take and climb off of it. What about a chicken that fled, that ran away? Right. So then you push that same basket, you know, towards her until she could get into it. The, the Mishnah continues: agalin What about baby cows, calves, and baby agalin v'sayachin and foals, baby horses? Right, you can help them walk. The same way that a woman, and I assume this would also go for a father, a man, right? A woman would help her son to walk. When are we talking about? We're talking about a time when the kid, and here it's specifically referring to the child and not to the baby animals, um, picks up one foot, one foot up and one foot down by himself. Then you can help that child continue to walk, right? You're not, you're not manipulating the child's feet for himself. So he could do it himself, but maybe he's wobbly, so you he could help. Aval um, asur. But if he was dragging his feet, meaning he doesn't really know how to pick them up yet, um, then you're not allowed to help him walk because then it's more like carrying. So this Mishnah, and it's going to lead into the following Mishnah, is really about, I think, uh, to what extent does a person, does a Jewish person who has animals, or for that matter, in this case, children, but really the the threat, thrust of it is about animals. To what extent can you help an animal um, on Shabbos? Right? Is an animal many aspects, let's say, of an animal uh, of an animal's well being, would be considered muksa or aser or prohibited? Right to begin with, not just aser for the carrying of it, but the actual activity. How do you handle them? On the other hand, we have a mitzvah that we let our animals rest on Shabbat. We don't let them rest to the extent that we do not feed them, right? We are obligated to continue. There's all kinds of ways in which our activities on Shabbat are curtailed, but they're not removed. There's still a responsibility that an owner of animals has for them on Shabbat. And so that very specifically comes into play, how much you're allowed to do to help an animal in In distress or even just in you know the regular needs the same thing that you would do on thursday and friday and sunday what can you do on shabbat um so the Gemara goes goes on and and i think makes it clear that that's what we're talking about here that that's the context of this discussion so what happens when you have an animal that falls into I, I, the question of amatamaim is some kind of pool of water. Uh, the safari translation says an aqueduct. But the idea, because that's you know one of the aspects of water that was most common, most prevalent in certain areas of Israel back in the day, right? So then what do you do? You bring pillows and you bring blankets and then you throw them into the water so that hopefully the animal will then be able to get out on her own right, or his own, but it's the behemah is is, uh, is fem, feminine in Hebrew. So that's the hope, right? You're helping without going, you're not, you're not throwing yourself into the water to bring the animal out. You do not do the same kind of, you know, um, extreme measures that you would do to save a person's life, let's say, for example, but you're still, you know, still going to help here and provide a means for the animal to emerge from the water. Um, if it doesn't, well, then you have a problem right? If it doesn't come out, then it doesn't. Um, so what happens? Let's, let's see this tomorrow. So again, we have a question on that case. So what are you going to do? S- figure out a way that she can, she can she'll can, she be okay there down in the water, down in the pit so that she won't die. We have this, we have a question. You can provide her with food so you make sure that while she's down there, she's not gonna die of hunger, but you're not gonna bring cushions and blankets to help her out. And the Gemara answers low cash, we don't have a problem here. If you are in a situation where all she needs is food, right? And the and she can stay there fine, and you can reach her fine. You can get the food to her, then you're fine. Then bring the then bring the animal food, and that's that. But if you can't reach food to her, you can't bring it down to her, then bring your pillows and bring your blankets and put them underneath the animal in the hopes that she will come up herself. Okay? So that we have here, um, I would say, a hierarchy of to what extent do we accommodate the animal's needs and to what extent do we preserve our um, lack of involvement there when it comes to Shabbat. Okay, I want to jump down. I mean, the Kevar goes on in this whole discussion about, it talks also about the chicken that runs away and how do you get the chicken back and so on. But I want to jump to the next Mishnah, um, which again is, I think it puts the question of to what extent do we go out of our way to help the animals in the extreme. Okay, so let's go back. One does not help, one may not birth an animal, right? You cannot, I, I, let me let me pause and, and say the whole line and then I'll explain what the difference is where I have a question. You don't birth an animal on Chag, on Yantif, on the holiday, you can help, you can assist in the animals giving birth. So my question of course is, I, because again, I, I don't have animals at home, and I certainly don't work on a farm, although some days I would really like to. Um, I don't know to what extent the difference is between when you actually would bring the animal to give birth and when you assist the animal in the labor that it's already going through. Um, but clearly, if you're a farmer, you know the difference. The fact that I don't know the difference is largely irrelevant. The Mishnah knows the difference. <inaudible> Okay, there's no such distinction when it comes to a woman, and it's not about yantif even, it's about Shabbos. You do whatever you need, right, to bring the woman to give birth on Shabbat. V'korin la chachama mimakom makom, And you can call her a midwife. Midwife here is called chachama, which is, of course, a wonderful term and also very true, right? You call a midwife to help her, and even if that involves travel from one place to the next place, you know, that is, this is a priority. And you desecrate Shabbat, and again, we come back to that question, that ongoing question of whether um, any kind of pikuach nefesh issue is desecration of Shabbat, or is it really fulfilling Shabbat with certain requirements removed for the sake of pikuach nefesh. The And you can then, and this is also kind of beautiful, everybody really understands what childbirth is all about here, right? You can tie the umbilical cord of the child on Shabbat. Right, obviously, this is part of giving birth, and now you have not only the health of the mother to be concerned about, but also the health of the child. Rabbi, which I don't mean that you wouldn't have had the point that until the point of delivery, but it's d- addressed in the Mishnah straight up. Rabbi Yossi, Omer, af you can even cut the umbilical cord, and every requirement of Brit You do, you know, this same baby that is born on Shabbat, if it's a boy baby and the boy baby is healthy, then the Brit Mila is also going to be on Shabbat. So the Mishnah kind of tags that detail on at the end. And and there we have kind of something that happens so commonly, you know, in modern times also where women do go into labor and do need, you know, do deliver on Shabbat um, or Chag or Yom Kippur or whatever. Right. And this Mishnah answers all of that. Right. There's no... You don't need a general pikuach nefesh. We've got a specific Mishnah that speaks specifically about um, a woman's delivery, giving birth on Shabbat. I want to address just for one moment the fact that it gets here via the animal discussion, right? Because really what's been going on up until now is the question of to what extent can you assist an animal on Shabbat? And that point is, I think, very strong, right? You can assist an animal to a very great degree, um, but not all the way. But now, once we're talking about deliveries and, and childbirth let's, um, and birth, rather, let's come and talk about childbirth and the distinction between what can be done for a woman, what must be done for a woman as compared to what can be done for an animal is, you know, puts in a sharp relief. Anybody's going to be offended by the fact that these two are in the same Mishnah should not be because the, the point, is, I mean, it's hard to say nobody should be offended. But the idea here is that the, what is done for the sake of a woman delivering is dramatically different than what is done for an animal who is also delivering. And the Gemara here discusses, you know, literally how one can help with the birth of an animal. There is a discussion of it that does explain, you know, what you can do and some of it is extensive. And listen, I, as I said, I don't, I've never seen this, you know, first up, firsthand. um, I would say anybody who's seen, and this is really dating myself, but if you've ever seen the movie, City Slickers, Billy Crystal helps deliver a calf and it's quite vivid. And I would say that that's probably the most live thing I've ever seen. I've seen still images of a baby, of a baby animal being born.
0: Yeah. I'm going to admit that's a movie favorite in our household. And (laughs) probably also should admit that my 4 year old can quote some of the lines from movies. But that's a different discussion. (laughs) I know you had Gabrielle featured. I could have my four-year-old come out and yell, if hate were people, I'd be China. There you go. (laughs) Go (laughs)
1: Um, Okay. So, and then there's a whole discussion in the Gemara here, again, before we get back to the women, it goes, first it goes to the animals and it says, even, can you do this for kosher? What can you do for kosher animal, for a non-kosher animal? And the Gemara posits that there are significant differences between a non-kosher animal and a kosher animal in terms of how they treat their offspring. And I'm not sure to what extent, I, I'm not sure to what extent that's true in the context of, I would say maybe we see that difference in, between mammals and not mammals, but um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate too far. Um, okay, is that all I have to say? That might be all I have to say.
0: Yeah. Look, I think it's just an interesting concept. You know, we don't as much as like Masachat Shabbat. Again, is about sort of we would think primarily about the Lamad Tet Malachot. I think these two Mishnah's, you know, really present us with a very typical Shabbat scenario, which is what is the help that we're basically allowed to extend to an animal to a human. Um, and you know, I think particularly the childbirth one may seem a little bit intuitive, almost like why does the Mishnah actually need to spell it out? But I actually think what the Mishnah is doing is trying to make it very normative, almost in a way of you don't need to ask your local rabbinic authority, right? Just right. go ahead and do it exactly. I think and I wanted
1: this was important. one thing. This was one thing that I wanted to continue with if when you're when you're ready. No, go ahead. Um, so just as follows. The Gemara goes on to discuss to what extent can you help this woman in childbirth, meaning it's not all medical. If she says that she needs a lamp, then you light a lamp. If she needs oil for her hair, right, for her for anything, right, then you then you get it for her. You make sure that she's got it. What happens if she's blind and she wants a lamp on, even though it's not going to help her see, but it's going to provide her with some measure of peace of mind that the people who might be helping her could see better? You light the lamp, meaning no holds barred here. Right. The yeah, plague- I thought
0: that was a great I thought that detail in the Gemara was fabulous. Like it's really. And that's why I read that Mishnah differently. It's not a Mishnah that's giving permission. It's a Mishnah that's really saying everything's basically allowed. Right. You can walk farther than you're supposed to walk. We'll talk about that a lot in Masahat Eruven. You know, you could do whatever it is that you need to do to make sure that this goes safely, not even in a physical way. But, you know, that detail that the a blind woman but even in an emotional way, right? You just do what you need to do. Don't go running around asking first what to do.
1: And with that, we'll close for the day. That's our deaf discussion for the day. Thank you so much for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcasts. Come join our discussion on our Facebook page. Have you given birth on Shabbat? How did it go? Um, and thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Until tomorrow, go and learn.